0: Hello, welcome to some Derp's Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to continue talking about Ultimate Intrigue, but before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what we do on this podcast?
1: (laughs) Well, it's pretty simple. Uh, We like to talk about games. Before we get into Ultimate Intrigue, though, uh, I guess it's been a week or however long. I don't really remember how long since we casted last, Uh, but we played a few games uh, Dark Souls Three came out, so I'm sure you've been playing that. Yeah. Because I see it on your Steam. Because Steam allows me to creep on you and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah. What have you uh, What have you been playing?
0: Uh, do you want to do campaigns first?
1: Oh yeah, we can do that too. Yeah. I, mean, I guess technically, what have you been playing also applies to those.
0: Yeah. Well, there was a session of Hell's Rebels and there was a session of Rune Lords um, that were fun and fantastic. Uh, Hell's Rebels. We uh did a bunch of RP. We recruited Ralph and did a bunch of internal RP stuff.
1: Yeah, you got you got uh you you shut up, Rax. He's not right. leaving. He's not leaving. Yep, which is which is fine. Yep, that's good. Uh, you found out the history of uh, uh the, the rebellions. The, yeah, the history of of Gondor in the in the Silver Ravens.
0: Yep. We, uh, Stuff. figured out how to divide loot in a task that was partially in character, partially not. Yeah, that, I was surprised that that was, like, the most important thing that people wanted to accomplish. Um, I don't know if it was most important so much as it was, like, a thing that was getting talked about. I feel like... like it, it, it's weird because there, there there are some RP motivations behind the way that a lot of this went down. Um, Which is good, right? Like... It's better that the if these things are terse, it's because of our peer reasons, and not because people at the table are dicks. Um, but because of that I think, like locking that down and getting that out of the way is probably the the right way to do it. Would you say?
1: Yeah, I definitely think uh, it's it it. I suppose it prevents this kind of thing from cropping up in the future and like right. disrupting uh and disrupting everything.
0: Yeah, well, that was that was a a jolly good old time. More RP, no combat, combats for for fools on Hell's Rebels. We we play talkie talkie, and (laughs) at at this point, it's almost kind of like last session was, was was near masturbatory. It was mostly internal issues we were resolving, but you know what?
1: See, the thing is, I actually think that stuff's really important character stuff. I don't think it's. Sure. Nice. I like, I guess, I mean, is kind of a weird way to put it, I see.
0: Yeah, I, it's mostly self deprecating. I thought it was fun, though. I, I don't see any problem with it. Yeah, um, uh,
1: yeah, I guess me neither. Um, uh, and then, uh, I guess me
0: neither. Uh, uh, and we are fresh off of a session of Rise of the Rune Lords, which is also a heavy RP session. Um, which was also bogged down in technical discussion about the about the way that uh, Rust works. Um, oh my
1: god! <laughs> I kind of can't believe that like actually was a thing. Like that was actually a conversation that uh, we had and addressed.
0: I, I feel like this is actually kind of like a very like kind of defining Captain Crunch versus theater Kid moment. Definitely, Beca- because like you know I, so for, the, for the listeners at home who obviously didn't even, didn't see the bulk of this conversation since it happened over the internet um uh our gm mark who's a long-time friend of the show told us that we were going into an enchanted forest that magically rusted our weapons now two of us um who are the cruncher players nick and myself um immediately said well he said rust and bronze doesn't rust and let's look at other materials that don't rust right like we, we took rust meaning the, you know, oxidization <laughs> of ferrous materials because, you know, that's that's the way we think, right? Like bronze doesn't rust, gold doesn't rust, stainless steel, but that's not really, you know, th- th- that, that kind of thing. Um, it doesn't help that this is also during the workday, so, like, these co- this conversation is very asynchronous, right? It's not like an immediate back and forth. Um, and so uh, Mark comes back later. He's like, rust just means metal doesn't work, period, like metal, metal flat, and you know, I, I I completely understand and appreciate that viewpoint, but I think it's also I think it's also fair from our side that like we just you know didn't think that way. They said rust, so we thought rust. You said like you know. See,
1: I I you know like I understand that you want me to say that it's okay that you thought this way, like that it's fair, but I just don't understand how I I, I get I get it from like a joke point of view maybe. But I can't believe that you actually thought that he—that's le- literally what he meant. Because I was in I mean, this that's, position. That's where I was what rust means, right? Yeah, like, right. But the, okay, but okay. Just imagine. This is this is how I think about it. And this is the this is the way that it, that seemed crazy to me, right? If, like, we all, we know this is homebrew, right? We know this is homebrew. But um, if this was written by Paizo, right? If this was something that was written into Rise of the Rune Lords by Paizo. And they had this rust aura. How would they talk about it, right? Like, what would they write about it? And in no way do I think that part of their paragraph is like, you can avoid the oxida- oxidation of ferrous materials by equipping bronze weapons. I
0: don't see why not, because the, the, the solution is use something made of bone or obsidian, which is literally just a different material swap. Right, right like, but
1: one. Of, but I think I, here's the thing. I I think just in general, because it also comes down to rust monsters. Because I think of rust monsters the same way, right? Like I don't think you can get around a rust monster just by carrying a bronze shield, right? Um, and uh, I don't know. That's just I I I suppose that's just how I approached it. But
0: sure, so so I, I like me. I'm not arguing that it, rust should mean oxidization of ferrous materials, right? Um, the other thing that I that I pointed to in the discussion that I'd like to point to is that, you know, a peasant brings an iron hoe into the forest and it rusts out, and be like, well, we can't bring metal into this forest, and they just don't know the difference, right? What well, my character knows notwithstanding, right? Like, if he has right. profession engineering or, or knowledge engineering or whatever, whatever would be necessary to figure that out. Um, but I don't think it's an issue because it gets, like, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with, like, assuming that it works one way, and then the GM told us the other way, we're like, oh, oh, okay, we'll figure something else out then. Right? Like, I I think that's just, like, kind of the, the, the natural flow of a freeform game. I, you know, I see where you're coming
1: from. I get it. I understand the logic at play. It's just one of those things that, uh, I don't, it doesn't, I don't know, it just like does it doesn't compute for me. Like from a I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, yeah, I don't know, dude. I think I just kind of it's like this is a little bit like people, you know, um this is a little bit like people asking too many kind of like down in the dirt nitpicky questions about like you know, the lightsabers in Star Wars or like you know, superhe you know, like superhero stuff. It's just like you know, like, who cares, right? You just get it. Just roll with it. Okay, just roll with it. I mean, but but a lot like. of people,
0: like, you know. So I, I think what you're, like, willingly ignoring is that a large portion of the nerd community are engineer types. And I appreciate that you're not one of them. But we, like, the, it, it, it's, it's the nature of an engineer to be like, well, how does that work? And sometimes people try to explain it and it's stupid. Um It happens all the time. Sometimes people just say, that's the way it is. And the nerds kind of feel like, oh, fine, or like they come up with a theory to describe how it could work. But well, that's what's interesting to to like to like engineers, right? Like like the 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 way that like plasma is captured in a lightsaber is a theoretically fun thing to think about for 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 an engineer. Yeah, but okay. So there, there's a difference between thinking about that kind of stuff in the positive
1: sense and and in the negative sense, right? Like, uh, I feel like the. Um, <clears throat> the you know the lightsaber thing the thing that i'm really referencing right is that when the force awakens trailer came out uh and kylo ren had we didn't know he was kylo ren at the time but he had that lightsaber um that has the little arm guards on the on the side of it right um As soon as that came out, you know, like, everybody flipped out because, whoa, that, you know, that's that's not how lightsabers work. And I just couldn't help but just be like, oh, my God, you know, like, we're arguing the physics of a space wizard's magic laser sword like you know and and i can understand the like the coolness of like i get i get the process of how to make a lightsaber but to not have an assumption in there that's just along the lines of like if it's been changed right like if there's a good reason for it right like that th- there think, is something that's, that's internal. assumption
0: so i think the force awakens is an unfair example because it's straight up like it's got a lot of baggage with it right there's a lot of stuff that, like, you know, people who, if, like, fucking these crystals existed, could probably assemble a lightsaber from memory from having read all of the fucking Expanded Universe content. And there are... <coughs> <coughs> excuse me. And there are... Um, there's also, like, a set of principles that lightsabers operate under. And on top of that, this is a new handling of a much-beloved franchise by a new person. And there's always this kind of, like, test, like is this person going to respect the source, right? Like, is this person just going to kind of redefine things really nilly? Is this person, you know, going to give give this venerated property the, the respect it deserves? I, I just don't think the the week is a, a great one to go to because there's, there's obviously going to be a huge weight behind a lot of this stuff because it's, it's been a part of a lot of people's lives for, what is it, like 30 years now? It's been, it's been forever, you know, it's, 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 it's. Sure, I mean, okay, so from, from that kind of
1: perspective, I maybe see where you're getting at, but really what I'm attacking is the kind of nip, okay, okay, so really, okay, this, this, this is the reason it's on my mind, almost, um. I follow a lot of critics uh, on YouTube who do this kind of uh, – some of them are games people like you know Total Biscuit and Jim Sterling, right, who put out videos and they're like, this is what this you know, game is. But a lot of them are also movie people, right, who put out mo- things about movies and they're like, this is what this movie is, right? Um, and very recently a video came out. Uh, called Everything Wrong with Everything Wrong with Sherlock because one of the most famous of these YouTube uh, film critic accounts it's called CinemaSins right and basically what it is is they go through the entire movie and they have a little counter and a little timer and and they go and they just nitpick like all of like the little tiniest bullshit that you could possibly think of that wouldn't make quote-unquote that wouldn't quote-unquote like make sense or whatever and so I, and so I am a little bit sensitive just because of thinking about that and how everybody's reacted to that it's extremely negative right because that is like the worst kind of criticism you could ever give and it's entirely vapid and without any context or meaning um and uh and i think this kind of falls almost in like the same it kind of follows it falls in the same category for me right like i feel like though you know you just gotta like extend a little bit of faith yeah in a magical setting rust doesn't mean the oxidation of ferrous materials, but the
0: degradation of metallic objects, right? Sure. That's but what rust monsters the, do. The setting has to tell us this, and two, I'm going to come back at this this whole concept because I, I agree that sometimes these things are a little bit too small and fine grained and nitpicky. But I think you're way too, in general, like willing to call what what is what is lack of attention to detail nitpicks because you don't like care about. Details like it's it, it's like there's there's sometimes when like looking at something with with the magnifying glass makes sense right like especially when no sure large portions of the look, plot look, are, are, are predicated on it I I love looking at
1: stuff with a magnifying glass I think that that's important and I think that there's plenty of stuff that I can look at with a magnifying glass that like reveals you know you know if like there's it, it's it's the stuff that that you don't see right like for instance. Um, just because this is on the top of my head because obviously I'm thinking about Batman versus Superman, right? In Batman versus Superman, right, there's there's this point where Clark Kent and he's, he's up on the mountain. He's talking to his dad and he's really, you know, he's really bent out of shape. And he feels like he's not fulfilling the duty that he – you know, he feels like he's not being a hero because all of these unintended consequences are happening, right? And then he talks to his dad and he asks, does this feeling I have right now, this feeling of – uh, of, God, like, not being worth the of, – of not being a hero, right? Because all of this stuff that I'm not intending to happen is happening because of me, right? Does that ever go away? And he said, yes, it goes away. It went away when I met your mother and I and I told her that she was my world, right? And then at the end of the movie, right, Clark, Superman goes, saves Lois Lane, pulls her out. What is the first thing he says? He says, you're my world, Right? And then he goes and he picks up this kryptonite saver and he flies away. A lot of people, I'm sure, completely missed that, like, tying moment, right? I'm sure that they missed the the detail in that character moment of his dad saying the one thing and then him repeating that thing as the the symbolic solid, like, solidifying of of superman getting over this feeling right that's what his character arc is all about that's a detail and i paid attention to that detail and those details are important to me right but the finer you know the finer mechanics of how laser swords for space wizards work it's just not an important detail i I, know it's not an
0: important detail to you because to a lot of people what the fuck superman says to lois lane doesn't make a fuck shit of a difference, right? Like they care about the mechanics. I think that dismissing the things that you don't care about because they're not, for lack of for, for lack of a better term, like literary devices, because somebody else has a, a more of a, f- a fascination with, say, the the mechanical or or the rules of the universe. I th- I think that that's unfair. I think I think that it's just as valid for someone to have a, a genuine interest in in the way that the world that. That is set up works and have those rules be internally consistent as it is to find some greater meaning and find, you know, pick out these literary devices, which which are interesting in their own right, to a different set of people. I don't think you get to to arbitrate that, like, my things that I think are important are good, but you things that you think are important are not. I do. I do get to arbitrate that because I think the reasons why these things are
1: important is... Important, right? Because my thing is important because it shows the care you know, it's, it's the character arc, right? And it's the themes of this movie, right? And it allows you to empathize with this character and get in his head and understand what's going on. The that stuff, I that's that's important stuff, right? But is what it about really the, what, what it's the, a how, movie how, what,
0: about space wizards? Who cares about their character arts? Woo! If I'm gonna throw your same kind of like, oh, Slays with Swords for Space Wizards thing right back at you. Like if 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 you could dismiss it, if you could dismiss one thing out of hand with the excuse that it's fantasy, why can't you dismiss the other out of hand with its fantasy? These are because one real of those people. is di- one of those is like diegetic,
1: right? One of them exists in the world, and the other one doesn't. As essentially, what it comes down to, right, is I feel like people need to have these things in order to cradle and and like they they need to protect their suspension of disbelief and. That's not enough of a reason, I think, to be negatively nitpicking
0: in this kind of context. I, I think an internally illogical world is not is not one that's like you can relate to. If the world doesn't make any sense, then the, then how does the world work? Like if if if
1: if 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 you want to tell me right, if you want to tell me that the world doesn't make sense because of some just like huge huge gross inconsistency, right? I can't even think of an example of something on the scale that I would be thinking of, but just something that is so grossly inconsistent with how this world works, right? Like where, you know, it 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 doesn't follow its own rules. Um I agree with you, right? I think that's a problem, right? This is where plot holes, you know, pop up or whatever. But it's not a plot hole that the lightsaber in Force Awakens doesn't work according to the lightsaber conventions of the other movies, right? And it's not, it's not a plot hole. Um, I, I mean, I got to think of a different inconsistency. example than Force Awakens. Right, sure. But, I, I mean, inconsistency,
0: it's also just a new way of approaching, the, like, things. But you don't get a new way to approach things in an old property. If you want to make, you know war of the stars episode one what did you want and- him to break did you want him to sit in the trailer and just be like by
1: the way my light," you know like kylo Ren is he's, he's like the dark side and then he turns around he's like by the way my lightsaber works because i have a prism that reflects the plasma so that it can come out these little vents on the side
0: like what what what's what do you want from him man well I, I so one I don't think anybody said like this is clearly wrong the moment it came out It's like they people started coming up with theories as to why it could work and then they said well he better have an explanation for it because this is a piece like in the. it doesn't have to be in the trailer JJ Abrams doesn't have to walk out on stage and be like this is how it works but it needs to be some kind of nod to it right if something if something doesn't work the same way that things work otherwise this is this is I think a lot of the problem with with the whole movie, the force powers aren't consistent, right? This is why people think that Rey is a Mary Sue, because her, her use of force powers is inconsistent with those, those of the previous movies. And those are even less well-defined in the way that lightsabers work. So I actually definitely. So here's
1: the thing. I'm not trying to say that I don't think that there's nitpicky stuff wrong with it. I really think there's nitpicky stuff wrong with the Force Awakens. The fact that Ray and the Ray and uh God, what's the stupid Stormtrooper's name? Finn. They run into the Millennium Falcon and just happen to turn it. You know what I mean? What are they? They don't need key. They don't need keys. They just turn it on right like that's that's crazy there's there, there's nothing there was nothing in that moment that sold me on that happening right th- th- this is an inconsistency that i can get behind right but i think these in- inconsistencies are on something of a scale right on one side you have just nitpicky meaningless bullshit and on the other side you have the actual real inconsistencies that do it d- showcase what you're talking about an inattention to detail that is you know that's that's a major flaw, um, but at the same time, I think that that you know when we're sliding this scale around on this pe- spectrum and planting the line and saying, oh, something on one side, something on the other side, right? Clearly, for me, this whole rust talk is on the side of like nitpicking, and
0: on, for you, it's on the side of I mean, consistency. It's, 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 it's not even like nitpicking, right? It's like something that I didn't. Ex- like you know th- this is not me like trying to get a fast one over on the gm right this is me with a genuine expectation that rust means rust i'm not i don't have a problem with rust meaning something different in this world i just expect it to be explained in that context especially when it's evident that i so in one in one corner i expect to be given like the extension of good faith right that one, you know when two of your players go out looking for rules on non-rustable materials because they exist in the game, that you expect that, that you accept that they, they made that argument in, in good faith that they're not trying to get one over on the GM because that never works, right? It's, it's not like there was ever a rule that was going to be where we were like, ha, huh, bronze weapons are the answer. And if Mark didn't intend that for that to be the solution, for him to be like, rats, I've been foiled again by oxidation, right? He's never going to he, he's never gonna let that fly. And I don't think most GMs would. Um I, I think I think like the assumption that you know your players are are acting towards an end that they think is reasonable is, is is a fair one. Uh you know
1: I think the the way this falls apart is I didn't actually read the conversation. I just saw Mark's oh. response at the end of it. Well, like I said, I mean we we were talking about this before. Right, right. I, yeah, I said I didn't read the conversation. I just saw Mark's response at the end of it, where he his tone. Didn't suggest what you just said to me, right? I think that, that, that what what the way you just described it is pretty reasonable, right? But the way Mark responded to you guys really felt like you were trying to pull some kind of fast one or whatever, and so I I I, I guess I was making assumptions about the context of okay. your that might of be your fair. attempted that,
0: uh, that bronze, might be fair
1: bronze working
0: yeah um and you know maybe maybe I just got like I was being earnest maybe Nick was <coughs> <coughs> excuse me maybe Nick was being less earnest I didn't pick up on it because you know Nick being discernest about mechanics who would have when has that ever happened before um but you know i i just, i just didn't get the vitriol that vitriol that came out of it both from you and from mark that was like like well obviously it works this way it's like well no it doesn't obviously work this way it, or Otherwise they wouldn't have spent 15 minutes looking up the rules for bronze working. Um, well, so, th- so this is what just this
1: is what Mark said. This is the first thing that I read because this was this was at 1039, which is like right after I got up and I checked my phone. He said, So here's the thing, and this has been the thing for a very, very long time. I do science for a living, yes, but its applications to my games are extremely loose. While I could definitely appreciate brass bronze doesn't rust, ergo bronze, because I appreciate the distinction, I had imagined that aura of rust in a fantasy setting would have a narrative rather than semantic weight. I apologize for not being clear and for and for forgetting my audience and I just I read that you know like I read that in a in a passive aggressive way obviously I think it is a little passive aggressive uh, obviously um, but you know when when I read that I can't help but think. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't put myself in the context of he says aura of rust and I don't immediately think of rust monsters and how rust monsters would work and that it's probably all metal. Right. That's my immediate conclusion. Uh, but I guess I see where you're coming from if it wasn't immediately.
0: Yours.
1: Yeah. So so I. I, th- <laughs> I, this is,
0: I yeah. And so I, I can tell you, you know, from me that I sincerely thought rust well, let's look at Rust. I think part of this, too, is, like, to, to your point about Rust monsters, I think there's actually an interesting thing that we can expand on just a little bit, is that, like, there's a lot of these rules that are kind of free-floating around in the air that, like, you don't know, like, um, in totality, right? So, like, a Rust monster might say, you know, a metal weapon, uh, you know, disintegrates under its Rust attack, but it's just as equally likely that under the materials section for bronze, it says, no bronze doesn't oxidize, so it doesn't rust. Now, it doesn't in Pathfinder, but I could see that happening in, say, D&D 2.0 or something like uh, uh, any any other sort of fantasy game that has, like, a rust monster in it, right? Like, that's the type of place that those things go, and since I don't have, you know, the description for rust monster, uh, description for bronze weapons, and, like, a full description of, like, what a rust star is in full detail, fully memorized, you know the natural kind of alignment of those pieces is is not always going to be or or like you know, the immediate reaction isn't going to be perfect i i would say if that makes sense
1: yeah th- yeah sure um but i think we've uh you know
0: i think we've i think we've, we've killed spent, you know, <laughs> we've
1: we've killed 15 minutes 20 minutes of our cast just shit posting about rust monsters i guess um so how's dark souls Souls (laughs) 3
0: doesn't have rust i'll tell you what (laughs) no uh dark souls 3 is a lot of fun um i've said this before on the cast but it took me a while to get into dark souls 1 so long that i had to play bloodborne first and return to it um but dark souls 3 is really kind of scratching that itch for me um it's very infrequently frustrating i think i'm i think ultimately i am not building in a way that is great for the way that this game is designed i'm going like some very heavy like big old hammers like i'm using a large club which is i think the earliest class of weapons called great hammers um and they're very slow there's this one enemy that was so fast that i just couldn't hit it it took me like 30 to 40 attempts to to get past it just because um uh, I, I would, like, you know, I'd dodge, and I'd successfully dodge, and I'd block, and then I'd go for a swing, but because I was still in roll stun, he would land his next hit before my swing came out and knock me out of my swing. I'd be very frustrated, um, and the, the, the thing that kind of goes with this, too, is that, like, um, for players of Dark Souls out there, or as players of Dark Souls out there would know, um, you don't, It's, like, spawn right next to the boss. You spawn in a bonfire. And so I had this path that I kept walking. Um, you know, kind of got it down to a rhythm. But then, like, after try, like, 12 is when you're, like, you start trying to push it a little bit faster. And that's when you start fucking up. Like, um, for instance, in this case, it's you, uh, uh, you go into a sewer. There's a giant rat that you need to kill. And, uh, two little rats, the giant rat, and then a short while longer, there's, there's, uh... There's three other little rats. And then at the top of the stairs, there's a bone dog, um, and then, uh, next to the bone dog, there's a there's a outside of the store. There's there's a bridge. Across the bridge is one dude, uh, one regular dude, and two big old dudes. And that's that's all the things I need to hit before I go fight the big bad. That that's been that's been bothering me. Um, and so I've got this down to a science, right? Like I throw a fireball at the rat. I jump down and do a smash attack on the rat. I kill the five little rats with no problem. I wait for the dog to jump down, I kill the dog, I get up, I aggro the little guy, and then um, I kill him, and then I aggro the two big guys individually, and I bait them over, and I kill them. So after attempt 12, I start trying to push this a little bit harder, right? I kill the little guy on the bridge while simultaneously aggroing the big guys, because they throw a pot at me first. Um, And that's where things start to go wrong, because the first first time I did it, um, the big pot guy charges me and charges off the bridge... And so I don't actually have to fight him. So I'm like, oh man, I could probably replicate this and shave like three seconds off my run. Except the next four runs, he hits me and knocks me off the bridge and I die. And so that's like, you know, the entirety of like iterations, like 12 through 20 is me, is, is me like figuring that out and deciding whether or not I want to, you know, follow that as like a technique to go, to go down. Um, and then I start getting frustrated. So I, so I start trying to act faster and then, like, I get hit seven times by the rats in the sewer, which means I have to drink another... Um, I have to use a health potion to be at full health when I fight the... It's just that whole kind of cycle. Um, and I would say I did better in my first dozen runs than I did in the last 18, except for the last one. Um, just... And that was, like, three and a half hours of me just, like, banging my head against the same challenge. And it's you know that's probably the most frustration I've had. Everything else I've done has been all right. But like that, that's just kind of like the level of, of like, sameness this game gets. And I, I kind of wanted to just, as a short aside. We talked a while ago about hardness in games. Right. Um, and people are, people are, you know, people ask, you know, should Dark Souls have an easy mode? So people are like, well, of course it should. Then you get more people into the game and you have more people who are fans of the game. That can't be a bad thing. Um, my theory about Dark Souls is that because I've I've watched speedruns of both of of the uh, of Dark Souls one and two, um, and I've played a fair amount of Dark Souls one. And now playing a fair amount of Dark Souls three. I feel like if you have an easy mode, the game's too short, and um, a lot of the dur- durability of the game comes out of the fact that it is so brutally hard. Um, and I think that's a large reason why they keep the difficulty level so high.
1: Um, I've seen slash read some things that suggest that Dark Souls does actually have an easy mode. It's just, like, not... It's not, like, a toggle menu. It's a couple of items that you can get if you... Like, if you want to kind of thing that actually, like... I don't know. I, I can't remember the specific thing. But it's like, oh, this is a ring of something that says... That, you know, I so, if I understand this correctly, like, the primary loop of Dark Souls being... Um, I go. I do a thing. I die, and I have to progress to the same point that I was at in order to get my soul, quote unquote souls back or whatever. Yes. Right? Yes,
0: souls um, are crazy.
1: There's, I guess, like a ring or something, like a, there's just some items that that forgive that adds a lot more forgiveness to that cycle. So that if you want to run Dark Souls on quote unquote easy mode. <coughs> you just equip this ring which softens whatever the kind of like the death blow uh is in however whatever way this ring works uh and it's so it's very it's very quiet you know it's like it's a very quiet easy mode right it's under the mode.
0: is that in order to enable that you need to have the game knowledge in order to figure that out and you don't get like an easy mode is something that like i can hand i could hand you a controller and be like go and you'll be like, wah, 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 and make it through like the first bit in a reasonable amount of time. It'll and, and you won't, right? Or you most likely won't, unless you know you've 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 got this like natural knack for these these types of games, which I just don't right. find as common. Um, and the, the issue with with that kind of thing is that in order for that to be a real easy mode, I have to pick up the controller, go get those items, and then hand you the controller and say, "Have a blast," which is you know I, I think a, a meaningful distinction there. Yeah, I, that's fair. I,
1: I I don't think this is easy mode in the same way that, like, I don't, I don't know. Some, some game has just whatever, you know, when you downgrade from normal difficulty to super, super easy beginner mode on most, like, normal games or whatever. Um, just that there is this idea, I guess, somewhere in there that... Supports. I I, I don't know. It supports easier play. This is just what I heard. Um,
0: (laughs) No, um, yeah, I I I don't think that that's totally invalid. I just don't think it flushes out the way people want it to. And and I I think that there's a a good, maybe not a good, but like so those items that you're talking about. One, I think they're kind of like temporary in nature for the ones ones I'm thinking of. And two, even if they're even if they're not, they probably. they probably fall off as you get to the later games. So it kind of scales you into that if if you can find them early, I suppose.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is from a long time ago. It's some uh, – it must have been like an article I read or a video I watched somewhere in my like vast, vast YouTube history. Um, I, also think, uh, I also think that Dark Souls, uh, the world itself kind of depends a little bit. In the same way that I talked about how difficulty is an aesthetic thing um, – uh in single player games like this i think that's yeah it's 100 a part of the aesthetic of of the dark souls world right like it being super punishing and it being super difficult uh fleshes out and like a kind of under the under the hood aspect of um the just of the universe uh is what it sounds like from kind of like the 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 lore and everything like that. I think that it, Dark Souls is obviously not a very noble, bright game, right? Um, and so having the kind of punishing difficulty in the same way that like Warhammer 40k, uh, the the role playing game has an incredibly punishing yeah, that's difficulty fair. curve, or even Warhammer Fantasy, right? Like these are aesthetic these are aesthetic choices also to a certain extent um, that reinforce the. The state of the world kind of thing. Yeah, I I think that's fair. But, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I have no plans on ever picking up Dark Souls or Dark Souls 2 or Mm. 3.
0: I also played (laughs) a couple minutes of the Overwatch beta. I did not realize it was only 36 hours long this time. Um, And so uh, I played, like, two matches. I'm like, oh, boy, I'll play this on late Saturday and early Sunday. And it was over at 9 p.m. on Sunday after I got home. So, or before I got home, rather. So, you know, I played a couple matches. Still really like that game. Probably going to pre-order it. Um, almost definitely going to pre-order it. And then we can maybe uh, stream some. Um, maybe even the day, uh, the day it comes out, or the day the... Cl- the Op- the day of the open beta for people that co- uh, pre-order comes out was May third, and maybe we can play that and get some first impressions from you for that cast. Oof, yeah, I do. Stand.
1: I man, see, I do plan on getting it. I guess I ha- would have to pre-order it to so, get those first if impressions I, out.
0: If I pre-order it, I can bring a friend along.
1: Oh, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously one of those things where I definitely do plan on getting, uh, getting into it. But yeah, I mean. I don't
0: know. I've I, I you know, I have had my try and buy phase, so I have tried and I will buy. And so you can you can benefit from that. Maybe you'll pick it up and be like, This is horse shit. Why do you have such bad taste, bango? And go like back to play <laughs> League of Legends.
1: Yeah, I mean yeah, that might happen. I have been playing an awful lot of League of Legends these days, but I've actually been playing another game recently because I loaded it up, like, yesterday on a whim, kind of. Um, I started playing Civilization Beyond Earth because I bought the Rising Tide DLC, like, months and months and months ago. Uh, Which is to say, like, three months ago when it was on holiday sale. But, um, you know, I had bought that Rising Tide DLC. And I always told myself that Civilization Beyond Earth would probably get better with the first expansion. Uh, To which I am mostly right. But not entirely. I'm like seventy five percent right. I think I agree um, with that because uh, right now I'm actually pretty. The, I'm I'm in the pretty late stages of the game. Uh, I'm gearing up my victory condition. I just gotta I gotta make my Exodus Gate uh, so that I can get all those Earth folks into onto my my planet or whatever. But I think these aquatic cities, um, for one. And the political capital diplomacy system are two really big, huge, important improvements to the game. Plus, as a part of the Rising Tide thing, which I didn't quite realize at the time, is they reworked how Affinity worked. One of the things that always bugs me about how Affinity worked is um, you kind of just had to pick an Affinity based on what resource you were near and you could get a whole bunch of. But they standardized how much of each resource uh, exists in each plot so it's not like oh well i just happened to spawn between you know like between two xenomass uh biomass, or whatever they're called um things of six and seven apiece so i just have to go harmony this playthrough or whatever um instead you you kind of you get there through the technologies that you uh, choose, you know, right, like, so I can choose, I choose purity technologies in order to level up my pure, my affinity for purity, um, and then if you kind of split the difference on them, you can get hybrid ones, right, so if I go 5 and 5 instead of 10 down one lane, um, you get to upgrade your units, and all of that stuff just flows in a much more organic way that i it's almost even tough to describe it's just like it's just it's just much more organic to the way that you play the game whereas before the affinities uh were not right there were something that you were constantly having to make kind of these life or death decisions about if like all the time and so and so splitting that up having these hybrids and everything is really uh worked out for you know me and my playthrough um and I don't know. I, I haven't quite finished the game yet. I am liking it a lot, and I think I might do another playthrough like right after this, just to try a different. I don't know, just to try like a different path to the end. Right. Um, I like I like how different the uh, I like how different the victory conditions are. I think they are super cool, um, and I want to kind of test test those bad boys out.
0: Yeah, sounds awesome. Yeah, maybe maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll play some uh some verses or something at some point. We can get maybe just you and me, maybe we can get some more people together. That'd be a fun old time. Yeah, yeah, a grand old time. surely <laughs> um, uh, won't end up in shouting or hurt feelings at all.
1: No, definitely not.
0: Um uh, but Now that we've burned forty minutes Yeah, now maybe, that you, yeah. <laughs> maybe today we'll get through the archetypes in Ultimate Intrigue. Maybe.
1: Yeah, so the last time we left off, did we leave off by finishing the Mesmerist? I think yes. we did. The we last the thing we did was the Vox. Okay, so we are on the Ranger now. Yes. At this point. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the Ranger. You know, I have to say, I actually really like the Ranger. Ranger is, like, secretly one of my favorite classes. It was the first class I ever played in D&D. Um, and it's one that I really just, like, I just want to go back to it, man. I kind of hate that gunslingers are so good because I, I, you know, I like kind of the icon of rangers being basically the best uh, uh, ranged class yes. in the game.
0: No, I. My, one of my favorite things is that like you can trace like when rangers went from being the best ranged class to like I dual wielding too when 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 Drizzt Norden came out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm excited, and I think. I think that they work well as kind of like these specialized um, these these specialized uh, uh, fighters almost that have access to feats early with with their style. I, I really like the style aspect. I think it's one of my favorite parts. I think um, in some ways it suffers a little bit from some of the uh, like like kind of like the, the druid problem of like a lot of things happening at once. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that like between the slayer and the different archetypes that you can get. That you can kind of really hone in on some the, the Slayer, the Hunter, and some of the archetypes, you can really hone in on on exactly what you want, which I think is neat.
1: Yeah, um, I definitely think uh, I definitely think that that is true.
0: Um, so the first thing in the Ranger section here are three new combat styles, which are neat because they are not like tied to a, a weapon type, but they are deceptive, menacing, and underhanded. So it's more tied to a theme, which I think is neat. Um, Is this the first time they've done this? It feels like to me they have. Like all the other ones are like uh, Short and Shield. I would
1: really have to look. I mean, I'm sure that there are some source books out there that have stuff like this. But I feel like this is the first time I've seen it in a In a hardback? Yeah, Yeah. in a hardback. Um, uh, I, I, too, agree. I, too, think that these are pretty neat uh basically deceptive uh focuses a lot on faint as you get disengaging faint two weapon faint ranged faint improved faint um all that kind of stuff uh and it actually uses some feats that come in later in the book um that i actually do think that the kind of feints have been uh i guess well served by this book uh, from the the different kind of feats you can get uh, menacing is built on dazzling display intimidating prowess kind of stuff very normal very straightforward uh, and then underhanded um, which is a focus on dirty trick and steel and steel yeah
0: <clears throat>
1: to be honest it feels a little bit almost like uh, like th- like that sounds like a gimmick character to me uh, that like is begging to be built write like the dirty trick the, oh yeah uh, so uh,
0: i th- i think dirty tricks a little bit more versatile than most people give it credit for if you like read the description there's like six or seven things you can do with it yeah i um, yeah pocket sand um tangled i think you can do too um which is like pulling down someone's pants or something um i think it's definitely a cool way to like you know a cool role play there like just some like asshole it's like huh Fuck you. I have no honor. Um, but yeah, I'm, I I think these are I, – i I'm really happy that, like I said, they're thematic. Um, and I think that there's a lot of space for that going forward to kind of create these kind of um, theme-based fighting styles rather than, you know, <laughs> you know two-handed weapon. Dirty
1: Trick was hypothetically the thing that Kolbjorn was going to focus on. Like not, ah. not focus on, but like he had, he had some dirty trick stuff because, because as the brawler, you just get extra. So my dominant one was trip, and then I think it was disarm. After that, but then I just started taking dirty trick stuff, but I never ended up using it. It's blinded, dazzled, uh, deafened, entangled, shaken, or sickened. Um, so you know,
0: yeah, There's that, and then, uh, and then as we went over two episodes ago, the vigilante can also like rose silver at werewolves yeah (laughs) it's a dirty
1: trick uh i really like that dirty trick a lot yeah Yeah, but so the first ranger archetype is code runner, which is a lot like the messenger archetype for uh for the bard uh in fact i'm pretty sure he has basically the exact same class feature uh in this like mnemonic genius
0: yeah
1: or whatever i sure i guess I didn't really have yeah,
0: like again, this feels. Let me say the same thing I think I said for the other one. This feels more like an NPC class that does like a player character class. It
1: doesn't mean it, it. honestly doesn't really replace
0: all that much. You get knowledge local
1: and linguistic instead of a handle animal and heal, uh, and you're trading out wild empathy and um, hunter's bond for resist interrogation.
0: Yeah, so. uh, yeah. I think the only really big, ba- the, only, the only like really meany thing there is is resist interrogation. Like that's the the meatiest thing you're trading out. I guess you're right if you wanted to go for like a thematic switch there there you know if you wanted to be a thematic thematically like a message runner that this is not a bad art you don't like trade out too much power for things that you will rarely use type of deal
1: yeah um yeah definitely I also think it's a very straightforward way to kind of I think I think of honestly wild empathy uh, I mean hunter's bond is actually pretty powerful but uh, I think of wild empathy as being a basically he low you know it's like a very minor power yeah, thing yeah. um so i think it's a, it's an easy way to kind of flavor you one way or the other uh if you wanted to flavor against being the woodsman or you could take the next archetype dandy which the first sentence is literally the antithesis of the gruff and wild woodsman a dandy makes or takes effort to master the subtle etiquette of noble courts the whispers of dark rumors and the customs of the cultured world and it has like the coolest set of class features uh, <clears throat> like, yeah, I really
0: like Dandy too,
1: because you chase it. You get this favored nation instead of a favored enemy, which I think is awesome and so cool. <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe
0: uh, you know uh, the only thing I'm sad about is that this is kind of an archetype. Like I would have loved to, like you know, have say, um, Beauregard like coax, uh, Weirin. Into being a dandy, like you know, like the the gruff woodsman coaxes him into being a dandy. Like, put this bow in your hair and speak properly. Yeah. Um. Although I think he, tra- yeah, he trades. He trades out Hunter's bond for hobnob, um, which is, not, not his, not not a rock, but, um, I think it's cool. I also think it's cool that he gets charisma to charisma spell casting, um, and bard spells. Right. Um, I don't know. I think I think it's it's a lot of fun. I really really like this.
1: I think it's an awesome. I think it's an awesome archetype because you can just take it and turn your. You actually don't lose all that much power. I mean, you do lose a. Okay, so you do lose a fair amount of power, right? Uh, because you are losing favorite enemy, um, favorite terrain. Um, but uh, you know, you still get your styles and everything, which I think is kind of like the core power. You know, like the biggest thing in the in the range of power budget in order to kind of turn yourself into the face which is kind of awesome um in its i don't know in in how interesting it is the one thing i actually kind of don't like a little bit about favored nation is how almost how so specific it is to a certain extent it's very powerful which i do like uh but it really feels like you know um you get a lot of different favorite enemies as you level up as a ranger, but there really aren't too many globetrotting adventures or campaigns out there where it's like, you know, my nation, uh, where I'm going to be getting stuff from uh, other nations. Like, even in Hell's Rebels, which is built almost entirely on this, you guys are... Hell. I mean, Hell's Rebels, the baseline version, doesn't interact with another nation, period at all um and my version you guys are interacting with other nations because uh your your character's backstories are and i change things around but even in my version a dandy wouldn't get to use all of his favorite uh all of his favorite nations but i i think
0: the trade-off for that is like you know your first favorite nation is chel and or cantarga if you have to be that specific and you know You've covered all of your enemies for the first half of the game as opposed to Ranger who has to pick like or a regular Ranger who has to pick like goblin and maybe has to deal with wolves and can't deal with them as much. Yeah. I I think I think that's that's, that's a good power tree cause you, you I think while you don't get to use as many of your different favorite nations, you'll probably cover everything you hit. Um It's just you don't get to hit against like dungeon y type animals. It's only against uh like uh humanoids.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I like this one. I, this is probably if there's any.
0: Oh, oh! It only any, applies against courtiers, officials, and nobles. I thought it would also apply against like regular townspeople, which, which I guess does make it a bit worse. Nobles
1: um, and gentry. Oh, interesting. I actually, uh, when the first time I read that, I thought, well, I guess it kind of depends, like how, uh, you know, like a city guard counts, right? Like, yeah, is that an official? I, I I initially thought that it was, which made sense to me, right? Like, you know, if I'm playing in Hell's Rebels and I take Chelax, I I get this
0: bonus against the Dotari. Um, yeah, but like, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe not. Maybe I mean, it just doesn't apply in general, right? Like, it definitely doesn't apply to the Thieves Guild. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which it which doesn't, doesn't apply to point. everybody.
1: Um. Yep. Yeah, I think that's true. Definitely. Uh,
0: but yeah, I definitely think it's really cool, and I think, I think for the right campaign, it would be an awesome thing to play. I think even for the wrong campaign, it'd still be fun. It just wouldn't be as effective. I would totally play this. I would play this
1: in a yeah. heartbeat. Oh yes, yeah, in, in the
0: right in the in the right campaign.
1: I would have played this with like Nick, but in a Mark game or in uh, honestly, I actually think that this would be really interesting in something like Skulls and Shackles because it kind of beggar it it begs some interesting questions about what is a, you know like which of these. Are quote unquote nobles, right? Yeah. Are pirate captains nobles in the shackles? Do they are, have to be certain,
0: uh, like on the pirate
1: council account? Exactly, right? Like, cause you, and you need those pieces of paper in order, like your license to pirate or whatever. You're like, and I, I think that I think asking those kinds of questions is neat in a yeah. game sense, uh, and I would definitely like to do those. Um, plus, I like the ability party crasher, which I think is hilarious because you can just invite yourself to shit um yeah. <laughs> uh but uh but, yeah, okay well yeah uh the next one is Guildbreaker which i don't remember neither do uh, i yeah <laughs> now as i hastily read this um ah so this is oh oh, this, uh, oh. favorite organization mm. is the thieves guild Right. This is, wow. Yeah, I do remember. I remember reading this one and actually liking this one a lot, but not for that. What's the ability? Read the City, I think, is super cool. Um, In an urban environment, a Guildbreaker can use survival to gather information uh, on the movements of creatures and what sort of people occupy the community. Um, And I think it's, that is the, that is... That's something that I do on a lot of characters, but it actually has a class feature here, which is sweet and awesome.
0: Yeah, Um, I I feel like the flavor of this is supposed to be, like, undercover cop, which I think is really cool.
1: I mean, deep cover is supposed to work that way.
0: Although, although the way I initially read it, especially when I read Baker initially, was, like, union buster. Like, dirty (laughs) capitalist. (laughs) That's funny. Um... Because you know, not, most of the guilds are presumably not thieves' guilds, um, but yeah, I, I think undercover Cop is definitely the flavor they were going for. Naming aside, I think I think it does very well at getting that. Yeah,
1: I uh, yeah, I definitely agree.
0: So um, I, I really like crouch stride, but it's also one of those things where like, um, it's one of those things where like, I don't think this comes up unless one of your characters has it, right? Like, I don't think that. You very often force people to to take a, a, a more time to get through crowds, unless one of your characters has an ability that interacts with crowds, or the scene specifically, very specifically calls for it.
1: Yeah, I was literally about to say basically the same thing. I, as soon as I read that, actually, um, it made me realize, like, oh shit, and like I should add a whole bunch. You know, like I should just add a whole bunch of fucking crowds in... In Hell's Rebels for some of these city maps and stuff that
0: exist uh, to make shit, you know, to make shit harder. It, um, might, it might make shit harder. It also might make shit like, you know, say Beauregard blending into the crowd easier. So, that's know, true. I think it's just, it's a dynamic that I didn't, I don't, you know, you don't normally think, think of yeah.
1: uh, necessarily, so I don't know.
0: But uh, I think it's good that it exists that way. If you do want to do that kind of thing, you, you can. Um. But yeah, that's the uh, guildbreaker. Anything else you want to say about that?
1: No, uh, yeah, I'm. You know, uh, that's that's uh, that's all I got to say about that. I guess.
0: <laughs> all right. The the sentinel then. Um. Yeah, I, it, this was kind of underwhelming to me. Uh, like it it seemed it seemed like another um, NPC class, right? Like this is a guard that you stick in the boss's house. That gets past your trickiest PCs' uh, invisibility stuff.
1: I feel yeah, like,
0: I feel like there's very few opportunities for like a player to play this role for a campaign and be like satisfied with it.
1: Well, it's funny you say that because the Sentinel would be very good for. House Rebels. <laughs> if, if, it, it's one of those things where I think you would... I don't think you go to a GM and you say, oh, I should play the Sentinel, right? I feel like this is one of those things where I, as a player, tell the GM I'm playing a, a, a Ranger and he shows me this archetype and it's like, by the way, I know this looks like it's not going to be all that useful,
0: but I, I promise it will totally or be something that, that useful. Or it's something that shows up in the player's guide. Yeah, right. Um, um, I feel like Like, say, Daring General is like that a lot. Like, in my Wrath game, it's like, uh, (laughs) there's some mass combat going on, so if you want to be a Daring General, feel free to go for it. Right, yeah, that's exactly
1: kind of the, uh, uh, that's exactly the kind of thing that I'm, I also actually think that this works a lot to a certain extent with some of the other rules that I don't really partake in all that much. Um, spoiler alert, I'm not a really big fan of random encounters. I think random encounters are inherently filler bullshit wastes yeah. of time. Um, when I, whenever I have an encounter, first of all, I want it to be overly designed because I overly design everything. Um, and second of all, I want it to impact the story. Um in some sense, you know, like I don't want it to just kind of be like a one and done throwaway thing. And random encounters are almost by definition that. Uh, but I could see myself in if I was playing in a game where that was the kind of thing. Actually thinking the Sentinel is is pretty powerful uh, in, in because of how that alertness ability works uh, or whatever it's called. Jesus... Uh, Well, actually, both abilities, I I meant Sense Intruder, but uh, Uncanny Alertness is also very powerful. Like, we always talk about setting a watch in these games, but we almost never kind of, like, interact with it in a real way. Uh, For the most part, it's kind of just, like, it's there for the sake of being there and for getting in the mood, almost, but I don't actually think that it... Yeah, really? the
0: GM asks you how you set, watched. If you say no one does, it's like, well, the wolves are coming. Right, or- e- exactly. Right, um, but I actually think that there is room for uh,
1: you know, you know, like this is also how I was describing that caravan campaign. I always want to do like a like a really hardcore travel from point A to point B, you know, bringing the ring to Mountain Doom kind of thing, where it's it's about. You know, it's how many overland miles I can get down in a day, and right, like, did we bring enough trail rations in? Are we over encumbered, kind of things, right? I think all of that stuff is really interesting um, and is the kind of stuff that uh, I, I would love to do in a campaign one day. It's just like, I also think that's the kind of campaign
0: of where random encounters make a little bit more sense. Like no, yeah, exactly. Back. And
1: I think in those kinds of campaigns, I would definitely prepare them because I think they're important. Yeah. Uh, in that context but like i'm supposed pseudo to random. you know have quote unquote random encounters
0: in hell's rebels and i just can't help but be like really mm. no no yeah i've no. always found that like pseudo ra- like you know roll on a table and then one of these things happens and then everything on the table is kind of uh its own designed encounter even if it's you know e- even if even if you don't necessarily hit all of them there were a couple of those in wrath of the righteous which i thought were really cool like um very early in the campaign the city the city you're in Gets attacked, like, literally minute one the city gets attacked by a demon. And when you get back to it, all, literally all hell's broken loose. Um, and, uh, one of the random encounters you come across are two, like, quasits, I think. Um, forcing some, like, peasants to act out a play on stage and stabbing them whenever they get anything wrong. Um, I think that's very flavorful and fun. Um, but it's a random encounter. But it's, it's not like, you know, three drutches appear... Fight type of deal. So, interestingly enough,
1: I actually do think that uh, they're very useful. I really like random encounters, mostly because, well, so I really like random encounters mostly because it gives me an easy reference table as a GM for, like, what are some monsters that these people would fight in this environment in at this level right like it's just a really easy conde- like to condense that down for me onto just one table of 20 things uh that i can just look at and reference and i say "Ooh, well when i'm you know when i'm pulling up my i don't know random you know like the, so i you know like i'm setting up this completely homebrewed encounter on the street right um I need to know what you know, like what what is the kind of enemies these guys would be fighting? Oh, look at the random encounter table. Up, oh, they link to this thing from the NPC Codex. I go look that up online, or I actually own the NPC Codex. I go look that up in the NPC Codex, and I put it and I put in those monsters. That thing is very easy for me, and I and I like it because it kind of just it's a little wormhole to to uh, get around having to do some of the crunchier CR reading through the bestiary bits, because I feel like uh the bestiary is pretty poorly organized and set up um for for that kind of like reference table material but anyway uh then the next one after that is the transporter um which is another one that i don't think is all that useful but if i was running this caravan campaign holy shit Would having a transporter be awesome? Like, plot course is kind of the coolest. Uh, Just as, like, an RP interesting ability. It's kind of like the Han Solo archetype. Yeah, I guess it kind of is. I can also see this being something like Skull and Shackles. Obviously, it has a lot of... uh, uh, A lot of a connection to, to, to skull and shackles Mateo Vasquez if I were to revisit that character and have him not be a swashbuckler even though he probably would be a swashbuckler if I ever redid him um, no he wouldn't be would a very dandy. easily do this well yeah I mean maybe he'd be a dandy or, 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 the, see, so, he, here's the thing he with Mateo. What, he was like a seasman or something he, he was originally I think a freebooter yes, which is yeah. like a sm, which is like a smuggler pirate Uh, there's a whole bunch of these, like, pirate archetypes, apparently, that exist. Um, And Freebooter was neat, but the thing I always liked about Mateo was his interaction with Taylor, who made poisons. Because my intention was, as... uh, Mateo levels up and becomes more and more of a pirate captain I start using Taylor to to give me poisoned arrows so that I can adopt the nip- nickname Viper Vasquez and that was like ground zero how I envisioned this character and so I don't know if I could go back to uh, I don't know if I could go back to it without Why kind of that name in
0: mind. Why use poison arrows when you could fire snakes? Well, I could just fire snakes. That's fire real vipers.
1: No, straight up. That's exactly how I learned about that archetype. Or, not archetype, I guess it's a prestige class.
0: Yeah, uh, it's a third party prestige class for 3-5. Yeah. Um, of all things. Um, I think it's for 3-5. Uh,
1: it is for 3-5, definitely. Um, uh, but then the next class is the rogue rogue. Uh, the first thing, they actually have some rogue talents that I did not read for unchanged rogues. Why would I, uh, read, read things in preparation for my Um, podcast that I do?
0: Uh, follow along is just like more tailing stuff. Um, uh, Oh, actually, no follow along is actually really neat. That's the one I really liked. um, it lets the rogue pretend like they failed to save when they didn't. I guess it's like a mage's effect, which I think oh. is really neat.
1: Interesting. That is really interesting.
0: I think it's really cool. I don't know how like universally useful it is, but it's like, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, <laughs> ha ha, I have you now. And he's like, oh no, I've been held personed. And he comes up and he like taunts you and you just like stab him in the neck, He's- yeah, I also think it's kind of neat in a will in like a
1: will save kind of uh uh kind of sense, right like if somebody tries to you know i don't know hit you with some kind of mind affecting effect, you can just play along with it, yeah, um that's neat it's only enchantments though, yeah, I guess that. I don't, know. I don't know what that applies to. doesn't apply to because I don't have a mastery of the spell list. Yeah, I, uh, I do, do like I, Shades of Grey, which is basically an at-will undetectable alignment. Uh, it oh. reminds me of uh, the webcomic Order of the Stick where he car- the bell car, the chaotic evil ranger, carries around a sheet of lead so that any time the paladin yeah. tries to detect alignment. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I think that also solves some problems with how alignment works we really need to do an alignment cast
0: yeah um actually like like there's an npc and um it's one of those things too where like there's an npc in wrath of the righteous that can cast you know non-detectable alignment it's like well why do you know that spell like these like the presence of that spell on a spell list says something about the character
1: yeah yep i feel that um but yeah uh the advanced talents of hidden mind and stalker talent uh hidden mind seems pretty not okay it's fine man it's really bad for an advanced talent it feels like
0: um it's about the it is about the same level that a lot of classes that have this feature get it okay um is around I there guess. like master spy gets it and i think also um uh i think i think uh one of my archetypes gets it around 11th level Really? Um, wow. Okay. Maybe. That or it's or it's like the rank ten or fifteen, bluff, um, bluff talent. Uh, you know, skill, skill talent, skill unlock, skill unlock. That's the one. Um, and stalker talent is just. Why do they have these things on separate? Like you know, like I feel like they just make a big master list of all the talents and like mark who gets what on it. Like. Yeah. Because yep. you know, you know. Uh stalkers can take rogue talents and that rogues can take stalker talents, so you know, what what why? Why not? Yeah. You know.
1: uh, but then we get into the super cool archetypes. I actually like almost all of the archetypes for the uh uh for the rogue. The conciliary is obviously based on the mob lawyer of the mob lawyers of the godfather fame,
0: which, you know,
1: I always think based on Billy cool. Crystal.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? And, uh, analyze this. He's a psychiatrist and Analyze This. Right, but he acts as, um, he acts as, uh, as, as, um... Robert
1: De Niro's consigliere. I, yeah. I, first of all, bravo on that movie reference, right? Like, who the fuck has thought about that movie in the last ten years besides I, me? Um, <laughs> but, uh... I
0: watched it on a plane a couple months ago, actually. Oh,
1: did you really? I actually sought it out the other... Not the other day, like, a year ago. Um... And I looked up – I found, like, the Peruv- – I like. I made a proxy to get to the Peruvian Netflix server so that I could watch, analyze this, and analyze that back-to-back while playing World of Warcraft. Because I wa- I was, like – I was kind of in the middle of a big Robert De Niro thing. I had watched Heat, which is, like, the Michael Mann movie. Uh, and I had watched a whole bunch of Scorsese movies, and then I watched this one. Also, it's a Harold Ramis movie, and Harold Ramis, I think, is great. Anyway, uh, the Consigliere, who is cool or whatever um, – <laughs> uh i think this archetype is neat i think it is powerful in its own way and i don't think this is one of the few archetypes that i'm like pretty confident in its power level where i think that it's worth it you know like yeah um from a min max, and i think combat advisor is very strong uh, i think field boss which is you know functionally just uh uh tactician is really strong yeah um the bonus feats they get is pretty pretty cool um i don't know i like it a lot i think it i think it's i think it's cool
0: No, i really want to play one of these with ranks in professional psychiatrist and just (laughs) try and be billy crystal and see how long it is before somebody just like kills me um for being annoying i think i think it'd be fun though um but yeah that's conciliary um and then we have the guild agent, Uh which is exactly what it says on the, oh, the tin. tin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a thief that belongs to the thieves guild. Um, I do like some of the, like the name. I I, I love the ability to name honor among thieves. I think that's well done, Paizo. You took the obvious thing and you went for it, and it was perfect. Um, no, I don't know, but, uh, how. I feel like there's like there's a set of... Um, yeah, there's... there's This is one of the archetypes that's built around one of the later systems that they explain in the book that no one uses in their campaigns um, type of deal, which is like the the influence system. Um, right. Detailed on pages 109 to 117 of the Ultimate Injury Guide. Um, and again, while I'd love to have a game... I'd, I'd love to try a game where like a bunch of these systems are in place, like everything from like... I, I feel like you have to kind of Take each book independently, and these archetypes are kind of like that. Like, I can't imagine a game that flows well. It has both occult unlocks and psychic duels and, like, influence systems. And <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. Um, I actually... Or maybe you could pick, uh, like, two and mix them, right? Like a smash-up type of thing. But yeah,
1: like, I I think that this is also just cool from an RP standpoint. Sure. I really like I really like uh mechanics that re, you know like mechanics that reinforce story, story reinforces mechanics. I think this is a pretty great example of that uh the guild connections stuff um and then eventually what you're you know talking about right this pull rank thing. It just it really lends itself to character RP stuff uh, and I don't think it's that all that much um all that much of a power cost to the rogue. So I just kind of like it from that perspective, no matter what.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's neat. Power. It's neat that way, but I also, yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying. I agree. Um,
1: yeah. Uh, the heister, which is almost exactly what it says on the tin. And is also super fucking cool. Uh, is the most thieviest thief uh that i've seen uh of these i i i don't have a, i don't have an exhaustive archive of rogue archetypes in my head, but it is such a good one yeah. um I like the you know the rum dupper they they keep d c s low uh for disabled device checks uh they get stealthy and stuff um, they can do unseen stuff in urban environments I just think it's all super solid super neat. Um, I don't know. I like it. How do you feel about as, as a as a player playing with the disguise? How do you feel about Master of Disguise?
0: Um I feel like it's 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 uh fine, I guess. Um I actually think that the infiltrator does it better. Um I see what it's going for, and if you want it to be a rogue instead of instead of an investigator this is obviously a very good way to do it.
1: Yeah, um, I mean the infiltrator combo is much better with with disguise self and alter self because yeah. it has uh, you know spell list functionally uh, that the rogue doesn't have. So I kind of
0: get it from that perspective. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think it is cool, and I think in, in like a a different game, or rather. Maybe if this had been out at the beginning of the campaign, uh, beginning of Hell's Rebels, I might have played this instead. Because um, I do think it's really cool. Um, and, you know. Um, but I think I think there's, there's obviously pros and cons to both. Um, I, don't know, I don't really have much else to say about it. Other than it seems to be good Disguise, which is... Um, <laughs> uh, what, for what is one... What, so it replaces not a lot of, like, super huge stuff. Yeah, it replaces trap finding, one and two rogue talents, which is fine. It's just that I feel like pumping disguise is not that hard. Uh, yeah, I think that's
1: definitely. I think that's definitely true. I guess. Um, I also think. Uh, that. The phantom thief. I guess just moving on. Oh, okay. Uh, I yeah I realize I kind of set that up in a weird way so I just didn't have a good way to pivot. But whatever fucking smash Phantom Thief. Okay. So Phantom Thief is the opposite. It is not what it says on the tin. I thought it was going to be something really cool, right? Like it uses oh man, like it uses shadow magic or something like that. No. It is Thomas Crown Affair. The, the class, like you are a super, super rich kid and you get refined education and broad education and social sense to become a really awesome thief, which I think is awesome. I think that's really cool, but it's like the weirdest name for it. Um, phantom thief,
0: broad education. I'll educate you about some broads. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that's, whenever I see something like that, that's the first thing that pops into my head. I just think it's, like, ever since I played Munchkin, where uh, the Bastard Sword is a male-only item and the Broad Sword is a female-only item. Um, not a lot of content for this class in that statement, but I thought it was amusing.
1: Um, The Sharper archetype is also amazing, uh, mostly because it has this super cool uh, interaction between its level 3 and level 4 abilities. Its level 3 ability is Lucky Save. Uh, when a Sharper's Witch aren't enough to pull pull her out of a bad situation, her luck still might save her, so she gains a plus 1 luck roll on all saving throws. Uh, and then at 4th level, after failing an attack roll skill check or saving throw, a Sharper can reduce that saving bonus from luck by 1 for 24 hours in order to re-roll the failed roll. But the, the name of this ability, which is audacious over com- uh, overconfidence is just hilarious to me. And I think it is such a cool, I think it's such a cool way to kind of me- mechani- mechanize this uh, this kind of character. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot like making an edge-focused character in Shadowrun Shadow Run. where yeah. you do dumb shit constantly and just use all of your edge to kind of make up the difference. This is the exact same thing. The problem with it is it's not as powerful as I think it should be. Uh, in order to really go balls to the wall with this, uh, yeah, basically, fantasy.
0: I, I feel like, you know, looking at the person they have on the page here, which appears to be a halfling, maybe it's a gnome, but I feel like you want like all the halfling luck feats as well to kind of really push that concept in the direction you want to go in.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I definitely agree. It just feels crazy to me that Lucky Save goes up to plus 2 at level 9, and then plus 3 at 15th level. That's, like, a really slow progression to get these re-rolls that I think of as being the core of that, uh, the core of this archetype.
0: Yeah. I feel like they just didn't have enough space to kind of slot in the, the mechanic, and so that was kind of where it fell. Which yeah. Ne- never a great thing. I feel like that's also what happened with, say, like, the the spider archetype for, for Vigilante.
1: Yeah, definitely, 100%. I just think it's not in the power budget. Mm. Um... Anyway, and then the last one is Snoop, which is a lot like all of these detective archetypes, basically, that we've gotten so far. Well, it is, um, it's
0: pretty much just, like, investigator light. Yep.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, it just gives her an inspiration pool and uh, some investigative talents. Talent, yeah. So there's that. Pretty straightforward. Yeah. Uh, and then we come to the worst class of all fucking time, the bard, the
0: Skald. Skald is uh, great. I don't know. Oh, I see. Actually, that's that, not even
1: true. The Mesmerist is really the worst class of all time.
0: Like, I, I you know. think that Pius are specifically fucked with you when they put the Warlord archetype into the skull. They really
1: <laughs> did. They really did. Also, the Warlord archetype is garbage, which yeah. is the worst part about Let's it. Let's talk about <laughs> the Warlord first. Yeah, we'll we're get... already talking about oh, Okay, fair enough, fair enough.
0: It. All right, um, so the Warlord. Um, Intimidating prowess is a bonus feat. Replace the scribe scroll. Why not? like that, that's that's literally all i can say about that yeah um they lose
1: th- this is the thing that kills me they lose spell kenning which i think is the best yeah scald ability uh for this thing called fear me where they can uh <laughs> I, I actually you know and it sucks because i actually really do think this ability is kind of sweet at fifth level the warlord can remind his allies that failing him is far more frightening than the opposition um uh, Uh, and, uh, you intimidate your own allies instead of performing in order to, uh, oh, wait,
0: am I reading this wrong? um, I, I actually don't really know how, uh, how distraction works. Wait, Um, now
1: that I'm, now I'm really
0: confused. I mean, so... Thematically, what it's supposed to be is he yells at his people, and they get better saving throws against fear effects. Right. But now it says it demoralizes
1: them. I'm so – oh, no, wait. Oh, I I, uh, I understand. Okay. Excuse me, sorry. So the Warlord's allies can use the Warlord's Intimidate check for their own purposes of – they can use the, their... Oh, okay, to resist can, being in, into... Okay, I was confused. I thought... yeah What I thought it was is they get demoralized as they get the saving no, no, no. throw effect. And I was like, that's terrible. Who would do this? This is garbage.
0: Um, no, but, uh, they, they get... Yeah. So they get to use the Warlord's check as as the saving... Th- or as, as the DC for an opponent's demoralized check, which is very thematic um, and also probably easily breakable. Like if, right. like there's a minus ten there for a reason, yeah. Um, they do get they do get minions, yeah, which I guess is nice. I guess yeah. I feel like I feel like a lot of like you have to have the right party to have like one person being like, and I shout at the PCs and tell them to fear me, um, type of deal. Like I feel I feel like that could mess with a lot of people's like fantasy. Like, yeah, I think that's one of the, the major weaknesses of this archetype is that it, is that it. It screws with other players' fantasies, which is never a great way to go with a character.
1: Yep. You really have to, uh... You really have to, like, opt into this kind of thing.
0: Yeah. I guess. Um, Uh, it also... I think it works fine, though. For, I'll say it again, an enemy or an NPC character. Um, to kind of do this. Um. Yeah. So, uh... Yeah. Better than Buddy's Warlord. (laughs) No. You got me. No, uh just also a very different vision of the warlord right this the, the name is really Yeah, yeah, they're
1: definitely looking at it from the uh from uh from a harsher standpoint than
0: uh Yeah, you're looking at it like the 4th edition equivalent.
1: Yeah, that's I mean, they, yeah, that was obviously the inspiration for it. Yeah, but, uh, they're looking at anyway, it from like
0: the like I don't know. Yeah. Genghis uh, Khan? I guess so. But like uh, Yeah. The
1: the what's the Attila the Hun?
0: Yeah, there we go. Anyway, um, anyway, back to the beginning. Battle Scion.
1: Battle Scion. They get a court presence. We've seen this a couple of Warrior times.
0: Warrior poet. This is like a bardier scold.
1: Uh, yeah, it's a bardier scold, but it actually has a really cool ability. I guess it's see, is their twentieth level ability, but I actually like it in theory, which is the once and future Scion, which is obviously a reference to the once and future king the book about King Arthur. Uh, at 20th level, a battle scion becomes extremely difficult to kill, and whenever she is slain, as long as her body isn't destroyed, she enters a death-like sleep for three days after which she returns to life, which I think is the coolest. That is such an awesome ability. Um, God, I think that's so awesome. Um, but the rest of it is just kind of whatever.
0: Um, I think Battle Powers is neat. It's like a... Weaker tactician, and it's weaker because they have to meet the prerequisites for the feats. Yeah, Um, so it requires a bit of coordination. But I do think it's neat. Um, I think this is more of like a, like a heroic, like this, like, I feel like, the guy in, um, in Fury Road. With the guitar might have been a battle scion.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're right. I think he might have been a battle scion. I think that's, I think that's a good call.
0: Um, bold Schemer is a thiefier. It's called. And yeah,
1: that's- um, yeah, and it doesn't... It kind of uses some of the abilities that get introduced later in the feats and stuff that have to do with kind of like setting up these schemes and everything like that, but really not all that much. Yeah. Which I thought was was uh was neat, I guess. Yep. I don't know, very straightforward. Instigator. Also very straightforward. Yep. I like <laughs> Song of Riot. Yeah. <laughs> uh which is a level ten ability that can just fill the hearts of his listeners with hatred and rouse them into a frenzy. Um which I think is cool. I don't know.
0: Yeah, it inspires something, insert lol joke here that I can't think of quick enough. Um, <laughs> inserts ins, inserts all NPCs to be coded as minions. There we go. Nailed there it. There we go. Nailed it.
1: <laughs> Hashtag, <laughs> 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 Hashtag Rito, please. <pliss>. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Song of Rito. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. See, I, the problem is I don't like the skulls in, in the first place, so I don't really have any comments on any of these.
0: Um, So these all kind of like I, – I do like the skull. I will say that these kind of like – I feel like – these kind of push the scald out in a greater like i think your primary issue with the scald if i remember correctly is that it's uh it's kind of like it wants to be an archetype rather than a fully featured class correct right i think these archetypes start to push it out out of the the kind of like very archetype-y space it's in into a greater space um which is weird cuz it's usually the other way around where it kind of occupies a general space and the archetypes kind of push it into specific spaces I think for this is the other way around, that it occupies a specific space, and the arc these archetypes are pushing it out into a more general space. Um, just because they're so different than, like all of the other archetypes are like, and they play the drums real loud, and it makes them rage. Um, and so I, I think this is good for the class in a way, in that way.
1: Yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, fair enough.
0: All right, On to... I feel like for this hardback, they decided, oh, shit, we've been doing too many core class archetypes. Let's give a bunch of archetypes to those occult adventure and hybrid classes we made. Um, Because the next one's the spiritualist. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I really have... See, I barely remember the spiritual.
1: I mean, okay, so I do remember the spiritualist obviously, but I barely remember the spiritualist mechanics enough in the first place to have a good sense of its power level with regards to. Um, yeah, I feel like you know how
0: make, we make fun of Mark for the Tau as being like the overcomplicated class where like your power differs based on how many feet are in the water and what time it is during the month and whatever. Um, but I think spirituals kind of actually approaches that level of like, I don't want to like think about all this right now. Like, just so much yeah. to keep track of. Um,
1: but uh, I guess we'll give it our best
0: because
1: um, we care. Okay, so shadow caller forms a bond with the remnants of a creature's soul, and that thing is called a shade. And there's no emotional focus, which is weird because that's what I thought of as being the the it, it's kind of the lack of emotion that defines this thing okay I guess
0: um it's 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 a bit of shadowy stuff it's a bit of roguey stuff they get those like shadow jumping abilities which yeah I think the, that's
1: actually from another I think it's from another
0: um it's I think it's from another
1: class that has that stuff
0: it's uh it's the shadow dancer
1: shadow dancer yeah yeah um. Um. Yeah, I guess. Uh though the, you know, we just we just complained about it. There're really only two of these two of these archetypes. Um well, there's really nothing I think so of as all huge. that like, special or interesting about this shadow color class. It's yeah. a shadow. You get it. I actually
0: uh, do remember really liking the Sight guys binder. Just the idea. Yeah, that, I
1: like the idea of it. Just but, just the just the name was enough to get me like, yeah. oh,
0: wow." You know, Sight guy spirit of the times. It's in this case it's not the times, it's the community. But the idea that you, like, tie yourself to a particular community, I think it's another one of those classes that's either an NPC or only for a very specific campaign. Probably would work for Hell's Rebels because you're in Kentargo most of the time.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think that it actually really... I think that it's a really neat thing because it accentuates what the... You know, it accentuates the community so much. Uh, For instance, you know, just looking at it, it because you tie it to the settlement uh ability classes or scores or whatever we have corruption crime economy law lore and society and if i remember correctly uh kintargo has a high lore society and economy um and so i think that you could do something like lore right and you could be a zeitgeist binder where the zeitgeist that you've bound is you know um with the you know dealing with like the opera or like the silver Ravens kind right. of thing, right, um or uh you know just kind of the f- the 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 free um yeah kind of like the expression creativity aspect of it um to a certain extent. I think that's neat. I think that's pretty cool.
0: yeah, um and if, if you notice that it also has the ability you're not totally fucked if you leave if you leave the uh the settlement, it's just not nearly as good, yeah, definitely. Um, it also feels like that's just kind of like who why would you take this why would yeah. you take this
1: if you were just going to not be there.
0: Yeah. Um Kingmaker probably not a great game for uh for Guy Yeah. I um, mean
1: or even uh, like something like Rise of the Rune Lords,
0: yeah. you know. Maybe for a comp- um, maybe for a cohort in Rise of the Rune or not in Rise of the Rune Lords in a uh, Kingmaker, you know, have them sit in your capital and like perceive um or like like I said it could be a really cool NPC, right? Like the Thieves Guild has a spiritualist binder bound crime to kind of like or like that's the head of the the secret head of the Thieves Guild, right? I think that could be really cool.
1: Yeah. Um the moving on. Moving on. Swashbuckler. Our last class or, or our last, awesome. Or last uh, big class. I like Yeah, our last big class. I like all of these. Uh the Guiding Blade, which is secretly my favorite of these because uh, for any Game of Thrones fans out there, this is Sirio fucking Pharrell, the archetype, which is the coolest thing. I know you don't watch Game of Thrones, man. Nope. But if you did, there's a very, very cool character named Sirio Pharrell, who is a fencing instructor.
0: Wait, he's, is he the one that, that, that taught the, the one daughter? Yes. I read the first yeah, book. He,
1: oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Him. And then he dies yeah. uh, when when the Kingsguard come or whatever. Spoiler alert! Uh, whatever. Anyway, um, uh, the Guiding Blade is him because it's it's uh it's like a teamwork version of it where you know like where the swashbuckler is kind of like a one-and-done solo fighter uh sort of thing uh the guiding blade um uh can use panache to uh extend teamwork and stuff like that um and uh
0: it's it's another tactician type type yeah exactly it's
1: another it's another one of those that spreads around the tactician abilities um and so that's why I love this one. I it's so I, perfect I think for name, that.
0: I think the name is really funny, for not not for guiding blade, but daring teamwork. Oh it's yeah, it's like it's like we will work together. You know, just like this is very kind of like you know like Saturday morning special, like about the power of friendship. Yeah, um, honestly, it's one of those things I've always kind
1: of wanted to do this uh, in, in a lot of campaigns. Um, most people start off as quote unquote equals, but something that I did once in a Star Wars game when I was a kid. Not a kid when I was a teenager, because you know who plays D and D when they're children. <laughs> anyway, um, is we played a Star Wars campaign where I was a Padawan and I had a Jedi Master, and he had like levels on me and stuff because in in Star Wars that kind of thing is represented in levels. Uh, and I would actually kind of like an interaction almost like that with the Guiding Blade, right? Like I'd like a Guiding Blade uh, to almost have you know a padawan an apprentice to someone he's kind of like teaching or whatever because it kind of shakes up the typical party dynamics which are you know they're always kind of like interesting but party dynamics are always very um kind of hierarchy neutral right and having uh i don't know having a guiding blade kind of disrupts that in a neat way i think
0: yeah i think i think it requires kind of like the right the right player base i also think this is a, that's a cool idea for something like you know Somebody's girlfriend co- shows up and is maybe interested, and so you give her a lesser character to kind of like fool around with um or like somebody's like uh you know somebody's cowork or somebody's friend from college is around from the weekend. And you can kind of give them this thing. Or somebody can only make it very occasionally to the table. Like, they love playing D&D, but, you know, they have to work most weekends or something. Right, right. And so you can give them this character and have, and you know, have them still be meaningfully part of the conversation. but And you don't feel too bad about, like, them being underpowered as compared to the rest of the party. Because, you know, they're only around for uh, 30% of the games or whatnot. Um, and that's also something that's, you know... I don't think I've ever played a game where you keep track of experience points by numbers. Have have you? I have.
1: The first game I ever played with Mark was that way.
0: Oh, okay. It actually got to a point
1: where we basically had to abandon it because at the end of every session, Mark would give out an RP experience bonus, and I won it every session. And so I had levels on everybody from that. It was yeah. like a, it was um it was honestly a problem because Combe had two levels on basically the rest of the party, um and then eventually we kind of like audited it and found out that that was the case, um and uh, if I remember correctly I think it was Nick because Nick was a little a little mad about some stuff, um and uh, and so uh, we kind of did away with uh, we kind of did away with that but but yeah yeah that's uh, um, I
0: I have tracked with experience points, um anyway the point being that if you don't do that, you can easily catch up a, a character that's lacking in levels by being like, hey, and, you know, you, you can kind of, like, force it, like, you can catch him up over over a period of time that's not too too detrimental, or too, right. or too, too obnoxious, rather. Sure. Um. Um, the next one, which is the,
1: we've seen this a million times, the Noble Fencer, uh, it is a, it is just like the dandy that is a noble person who gets... Uh, basically social panache which replaces or doesn't really replace but um, it it is um, inspiration for the for the swashbuckler they get their d6 rolls on bluff diplomacy intimidate and sense motive um, uh, Do they get I verbal duel they get yeah, they get verbal duel bonuses i guess you know whatever um,
0: uh, i don't know i, I feel think like it would be really cool if they could use verbal duel stuff in like regular combat. Like 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 in order of the stick um Elon uh like gets bonuses when he makes bad puns, right? Like that that I think that'd be a cool thing to kind of archetype typelize.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I definitely think that's um,
0: true. I think aristocratic discipline is kind of like I guess they feel like they needed more than one class feature. Like it feels very very shallow. Yeah. Woo. Um anyway, Veiled Blade. Um Uh Veiled Blade is needish kind of. It's sneakier, right?
1: Yeah. Uh they get um They can hide theirs they can hide their blades, obviously, so they can just kind of come out of the woodwork uh and instantly fight out of nowhere. Ha, you've um, been had type of thing. Yeah, that kind of thing. Um so yeah, they replace a lot
0: of power for it, so I don't think it's all that good. Um, but you know, I think it'd be kay. neat in the right place. I also think that it'd be really neat in like a one shot based around like oh, a, a super super hardcore. Agree with that, yeah. Like like a ball or something, right? Like you know what's happening. It's like I'm one of the court. It's like pull out my sword and like stab someone through the throat or something. I think that'd be really cool. But um, yeah, that's all of the big ticket um archetypes. We still have. A couple more uh, archetypes after the vigilante archetypes, um, but it looks like we're out of time. Wait, no, really? Well, oh did, my uh, god,
1: I forgot. There's all those like one-off archetypes. Yes, yeah. I do remember. Wow, holy shit. Uh, yeah, we are out of time. Um, well,
0: so at some I didn't point read we those will, archetypes. Some so. point we'll do these archetypes. At some point <laughs> we'll get defeats. At some point we'll get to the whole other half of the book. Yeah, uh, but I think
1: we'll mix it up with a little talking about video games yes. after three weeks in a row of Ultimate Intrigue. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, but thank like, you for tuning in,
0: yeah. you listeners. If you want to tell us what you think about archetypes, you can email us at games at gmail.com. You can watch us play games on tv slash games. You can follow us on Twitter. You can f- watch our old videos on the YouTube channel. These links will all be in the description. You can comment on the SoundCloud track. You can now follow us on Google Podcasting because they just launched that service and I put us in six months ago when they, they started taking signups for it. So, you know, we're on top of that shit. Um, <laughs> um, do you have anything else you want to talk about, buddy? No, I have no, no anything.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't know.
0: All right. Until next time, dear listeners.
1: Until next time, dear listeners.